Hey, good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. In fact, a year ago this Sunday, we were not gathered together. We were all hunkered down somewhere, whether it was in the Wilmington area or maybe you fled town because Hurricane Florence was upon us, and we were getting somewhere in the neighborhood of two to two and a half feet of rain. Um, it, was a, it was a difficult time. Uh, for some of us, you had uh, destruction to property and homes, and uh, for some, uh, it was an inconvenience of being out of your home for quite some time, and for some here in our community, they are still out of their home. There are people who are still rebuilding and repairing and still dealing with the effects of Hurricane Florence even a year later, so we want to keep our neighbors in our prayers. Also, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention um, that it is another uh, tragic anniversary this week. Um, September 11th was uh, 18 years ago. Um, 2001 um, is when the terrorist attacks uh, took place with the, the airplanes uh, that landed in the Twin Towers and uh, were crashed into the field in Pennsylvania and into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., causing uh, thousands of lives lost. And, of course, I, everyone, I suspect, um, that was alive at that time remembers uh, where they were when they found out that information and, and then the shock and horror, um, really, that we all felt in the days afterward. Um, we all felt so, uh, so vulnerable, um, so violated. Um, and perhaps there are those that know people who lost their lives or... Um, whose lives were greatly um, impacted um, by that, that terrible, terrible terrorist attack. Um, but today, um, as we uh, move into um, our scripture, um, we look at um, something a little different. Um, it should be a scripture that is well known to you because it's on the front of your bulletin. Open up the front of your bulletin. Go to the front. And what does it say? You've got a, the church logo with um, a person in the shape of a tree bearing fruit. And then below the Wrightsville United Methodist Church name, it says, Deep Roots, Bountiful Fruit, It Happens Here, a vision guided by John 15, 5 and Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Well, we're looking at John 15 today. Hint, hint, next week, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. So let's turn to the Gospel of John. And see what Jesus is talking about here. We begin in verse 1 of chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, ten times you have just asked us to abide in you. May we safely dwell in your protection so that we might not only live in you, but live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I would hazard to guess that William Shakespeare is the second most quoted source in the history of English literature, with the most quoted source being the Bible, I would guess. The French novelist Gustave Flaubert once wrote, when I read Shakespeare, I become greater, wiser, purer. How much more true that must be when we read the scriptures. Greater, wiser, purer. William Shakespeare is credited with elevating the English language to new heights, finding words to express truths and emotions in ways that no English-speaking writer had ever done before. Shakespeare stands alone in his eloquence. But I believe there's someone who stands alone in his ordinary command of the English language, and that is none other than Dr. Seuss. I admit I read Dr. Seuss more than Will Shakespeare. I read Green Eggs at Ham at least once every year. The Grinch, the Lorax, and Horton Hears a Who were favorites of my children when they were no more than two. The Cat in the Hat can be read at our beaches, but my favorite as a child were the star-bellied Sneetches. Dr. Seuss has taught us so much we know, but there's way more to learn. Oh, the places you'll go. Okay, honestly, one of my absolute favorite Dr. Seuss classics is a book called On Beyond Zebra. Anybody know this book? It was written in 1955. A few of you, good, all right. Um, as the narrator of the story explains the alphabet to his young friend, Conrad Cornelius O'Donnell O'Dell, most people stop with the Z, but not me, he says. In the places I go, there are things that I see that I never could spell if I stopped with the Z. I'm telling you this because you're one of my friends. My alphabet starts where your alphabet ends. Dr. Seuss' story goes on to offer up 20 new letters beyond Z, each one a beautiful, fanciful design. In fact, I'm convinced that when the late musician formerly known as Prince changed his name to an unpronounceable moniker in the 1990s, that he was inspired by this book and simply picked one of Dr. Seuss's extra alphabet letters. Dr. Seuss narrator needs all these new letters to name all the wonderful, strange, unknown creatures that he encounters in the world because the reality that he's discovering requires a vocabulary that goes beyond Z. It's my belief that Jesus wrote the first on beyond zebra alphabet. For that's exactly what Jesus is doing for his disciples in his farewell discourse. He gives them new words and new meaning to old words because he's ushering in a new reality. Jesus gave his disciples an identity beyond student, beyond servant. He now calls them 
friends. And Jesus promised to be a friend to all who followed and loved just as he loved them. So do you speak this morning the on beyond zebra language of Christ's love? Here's one test. How do you see yourself this morning? Are you a friend and follower of Jesus? Or are you still a fan of Jesus that admires him from afar? Are you connected to the vine? Or have you cut yourself off like the air that was cut off in the straws when the kids pinched it? in the children's sermon a few minutes ago. We must cultivate a meaningful relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, you must abide in me and my words in you. Now, the word abide has multiple meanings. The one I heard the most growing up meant to tolerate, like when my grandmother would say, I will not abide this music in this house. Sorry, grandmother. But in this case, the word abide means to dwell. Um, In fact, the past tense of abide is abode, which is also a noun, which means a dwelling place or a place where we stay. This is clearly the way Jesus is using the word. He's saying, you must live in me and my words in you. He's talking about a relationship here. As the branch receives its nourishment from the vine, so too we turn to Christ for growth, for nourishment. How tragic it is that so many people today seem to get their security, their strength from finances or respect from their peers or their own creative ingenuity or whatever. These things feed us for a day, even for a season, but there comes a time when they will not bring the true nourishment that we seek. That only comes from God. And while I don't know anything about vineyards, I do know that plants don't do very well without branches and leaves and fruit. Now, every preacher that's ever preached on this text will talk to you about the need to stay connected to the vine that is Jesus Christ. But I can't help but wonder this morning if Jesus isn't also saying that he needs us, that the vine isn't going to go very far without branches that bear fruit. His word will not go far into the world without us. It is a mutual relationship that Jesus is describing. And he needs us to catch hold of his vision for this world that goes far beyond our present reality. One of the first groups of Christians to grasp this understanding was a small group in England back during the 17th century. It was a new denomination known popularly as the Quakers. They chose for themselves the best name for any denomination of all the denominations that have ever been created. They called themselves the Society of Friends. I love that. I I grew up in Guilford County, and we have a lot of Quaker churches in in Guilford County. Uh, I've got a lot of friends and, and family members who are Quaker, and I always thought it was so cool that they called themselves Friends of Jesus. Ever since the 1700s, these friends have stood for love and peace and mercy, often laying down their lives not just for their friends, but even for their enemies. The members of these societies of friends were the first denomination to oppose slavery and actively aid enslaved people in escaping on the Underground Railroad. The fruit that these followers and friends helped nurture and produce was the eventual 
abolition of the slave trade in America. But I want to give you one more test to see whether or not you speak the on-beyond-zebra language of Christ. What is the divine dictionary definition of love that Jesus is presenting at the end of this farewell discourse that we read this morning? Do you remember what he said would live in you? Oh, we'll get to that. Because one of the most profound things I think I ever learned in life was way back in Sunday school. It was an acronym. Um, it was J-O-Y. I don't know, I can't even remember where I got those letters from. I think I've had them all my life. Um, J-O-Y stood for Jesus, others, yourself. Did y'all learn that back in Sunday school as well? I know a lot of people did. I think our previous pastor, Bob Bauman, must have learned that in Sunday school because he would often tell us to love God, love others, love yourself, no exceptions, right? Well, the divine dictionary definition of love, which goes beyond the human alphabet, is this. It's joy. Jesus, others, you. The most important thing that I learned in Sunday school, maybe other than Jesus loves me, this I know, is joy. Jesus, others, you. The mystery of Christ is a life lived in that order and for that order. That's on beyond zebra thinking. It's different from the rest of the world. The rest of the world begins with who? With us, right? We start with ourselves. But the Christian thinking is different. It starts with God, then with our neighbor, then with yourself. First God. We're called to love with a God love, a God love where sacrifice is not an afterthought, but it is a forethought. God love is a verb which fulfills its mission to us, through us, and among us. It doesn't mean that our dreams and our yearnings don't matter or have any play in a, in a God-first relationship. Um, they do. In the words of Bishop Gerard Hughes, he said, if God's love for us bears no relationship to our deepest longings and desires, then God cannot be a God of love, but a God of commands. If God's will for you and for me did not bear any relationship to our deepest longings and desires, we should be obliged to ignore the longings of our hearts and put our trust in some authority external to ourselves. Well, I've found that sometimes... My longings and desires just aren't big enough. And when I lay them down, I find that my little daydreams are nothing compared to the dreams that God has for me. Which brings us to the next, the O, others. To live the mystery of Christ, to put on the mind of Christ, to live according to things above instead of things below, is to live for the sake of others, not for ourselves. The whole language of Christ being in you is the Bible's way of talking about joy, our relationship with God, our neighbors, ourselves. You see, when I go and I seek intimacy with others out of my own need for intimacy, I end up becoming lonelier than ever. Because intimacy is a gift, it's not a goal. It comes from a relationship where we put others' needs first. We're reminded of this every time we set out to pray and Jesus tells us how to pray, right? He says, he starts with our Father. It's not my Father, it's our Father. 
Now, it could be my father. It's a personal relationship, but he asks other people to come along with him, doesn't he, when he begins that prayer. The same is true for us. As John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, once said, the New Testament knows no solitary religion, meaning that the Christian faith is not meant to be done alone, but alongside others. We don't come to worship one at a time throughout the week. We gather with a hundred other people on Sundays, right? We do it together because it's part of being a community. And then finally, there is our spot in this. One of my favorite Latin phrases is this one, Demetria in incognito. It means uh, know oneself as half of a pair. That's why the you, the I, is third behind God and others. We are incomplete in and of ourselves. It's only the whole that encompasses integrity and truth. And we don't discover the whole in ourselves, but outside of ourselves in relationship with God and other people. We can only grow and remain spiritually healthy alongside other branches as we stay connected to the vine. Back in Wendell, I had a church member who actually changed his name to Branch because of this scripture. I honestly don't know what his given name was. I have no clue. But he wanted to stay connected to the vine that is Jesus. So he went by the name Branch. I thought that was so cool. Are you ready to stay connected to the vine? If so, Jesus is going to take you to places that you've never thought of before. I dare say he will take your life on beyond zebra. And he will cause you to produce fruit that will nourish others and build up the kingdom of God. Are you ready to live a very different on beyond zebra life that Jesus is calling you to live? In Dr. Seuss' little classic, my favorite entry, my favorite letter of all, way on beyond zebra, is the letter itch. Itch. Here's Dr. Seuss' definition of this on beyond zebra letter. He says, and way, way past Z is a letter called itch. And the itch is for itchapods, animals which race around back and forth, forth and back through the air on a very high sidewalk between here and there. They're afraid to stay there. They're afraid to stay here. They think there is too far. They think here is too near. And since here is too near and out there is too far, they're too scared to roost wherever they are. Choice is ours. An itch life that lives in fear and never gets off the ground, or a life that branches out. An on beyond zebra life which leaves the ground and soars with the spirit. Choice is ours. How are we going to live? Connected to the vine? Are we going to have joy? Are we going to live on beyond zebra? Are we going to live in the way that Jesus is calling us to live? The choice is ours. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Holy God, you give us a vision that is different from the world that we see. A better vision. A vision of your kingdom where People are treated well, no matter what their circumstances, where there are no victims, a place where we lift each other up instead of tear each other down, 
a place where there is healing and wholeness, a place where there is joy, a place where we put you first and others second. Holy God, help us to live into the vision that you've called us to. Help us to have life that comes not only from the vine, but an abundant life that bears fruit for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.